I heard about a certain man who had recently retired, and he went to his doctor because he was having some chest pains, and the doctor ran a full battery of tests and said, Sir, you're in pretty bad shape. I know that you're having chest pains because you've got some huge stress in your life. Your blood pressure, your cholesterol is through the roof. You need to make some major changes to your life and start taking this medication immediately. And then he asked the man something kind of interesting. He said, would you mind leaving the room for just a moment and having your wife come in? I'd like to speak to her for just a few moments. The man said, sure. So his wife came in and the doctor had a heart to heart with her. He said, ma'am, your husband's in terrible health. His stress level is way too high. I need you to help fix the problem. And she said, sure, what can I do? And he says, well, to be honest with you, if you don't help lower his stress level, he's going to be dead in six months. I, I need you to make his favorite meals every night. I need you to make sure that you do most of the chores around the house. And before he goes to bed each night, give him a nice back rub. On the drive home, the husband asked his wife, well, what did the doctor tell you? And the wife looked at him and said, the doctor said you're going to die. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? <laughs> but I can't help but think. If that man had lived like we have lived over the past five months dealing with COVID, I can't help but think that that man's stress level would have been a lot higher. Dealing with COVID has been extremely stressful, hasn't it? Uh, you think about it, we're more concerned about our family's health when they go out in public than ever before. We're stressed out when we go to a grocery store because we have to make sure we have our masks with us. When we go to choose a grocery cart, uh, we're careful to choose one that's been sanitized within the last five minutes. When we're pushing those carts down the aisles, we try to keep our distance from other strangers in the store that are coming the opposite direction down that same aisle. Uh, when we get to the checkout line, we make sure we're, we're parking our cart on top of one of those little round stickers uh, so we keep our six feet of separation from the person in front of us. And if we're in the middle of a store, God forbid that we get a, a tickle in our throat or feel a cough or sneeze coming on. Because if we cough or sneeze in the middle of the store, everyone's going to head for the hills. It's a stressful time, isn't it, in which to live. A lot of us are dealing with stress. And it's stressful to think about what else is going on in our nation today. Not only are we dealing with COVID, many of our, our cities have been looted. Uh, many of our courthouses and stores and businesses have been burned to the ground. There seems to be so much social unrest, so much angst and unhappiness. And not to even mention that this is a, a major election year and our politicians are going at each other, uh, going at each other's throats, aren't they? And so this is a very stressful time in which to live. President Trump stresses us out. Gavin Newsom stresses us out. Nancy Pelosi stresses us out. We're dealing with a lot of stress these days. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to open God's word and see what God's answer is, what his remedy is for the stress in our lives. Because honestly, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, many of us are saying, God, I can't handle this stress. Oh, God has an answer for us today. Amen. Right here in the pages of his word. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah is a little more than half the way through your Bible. Uh, Isaiah is the first of the major prophets in the Old Testament. We'll look at chapter 7 verse 1 
in just a few moments. Now, let me give you the backstory as you're turning to Isaiah 7. Isaiah uh, lived and ministered uh, in the 8th century uh, B.C. And so he ministered uh, over a period of about 50 years in the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Remember, after King Solomon died, the nation of Israel was split into two. In the north, there were ten tribes. Most of the time, that's just called Israel. And in the south were the two tribes called Judah, and they still kept Jerusalem as their capital city. So Isaiah ministered for about 50 years in the southern kingdom of Judah, primarily in the capital city of Jerusalem. So the year was 735, and Isaiah was ministering during the reign of King Ahaz. King Ahaz is the main character that we're going to see here in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah, because he had such a long ministry, ministered during the reigns of some good kings who obeyed and followed God's commands, and he ministered during the reigns of some evil kings. Ahaz would be in that latter category. He was a bad king. He was an evil king. He, could care le- he couldn't care less about uh, what God thought about what decisions he was making. He basically did whatever the heck he felt like doing without giving a second thought to what God thought about it. So he was not a good king, but he's the primary character here in Isaiah chapter 7 because he's going to be dealing with some stressors and God is going to be sharing with him point blank how to deal with those stressors. And so here we have this guy, King Ahaz. His MO was to do whatever he felt like doing. Now, during the early part of his reign, this MO worked pretty well for King Ahaz. You know, he would do his own thing, he ignored God, and his kingdom was going pretty smoothly. But when the crisis hit, his MO wasn't working too well. When the crisis came, he found out that his own way of doing things wasn't going to cut it. Have you ever been there? Can you relate with King Ahaz? You're living life on your own terms. You're doing what you want to do. But when the crisis hits, all of a sudden you realize it ain't working too well. And so you need to change your MO. I love how Paul says it in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so King Ahaz, here in Isaiah chapter 7, will have a very important decision to make. He is one stressed out king. And he will have to decide if he is going to continue to mock God, doing what he wants to do, not caring at all about what God thinks about it, Or if he's going to repent and change and trust God and begin obeying his commands and experience the salvation that God brings when we follow his will. He's going to have a big decision to make. So let's look together in Isaiah 7 and see what happens. Isaiah 7, starting here in verse 1. Here's how God's word reads. It says, When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So here we have these three characters called out in verse 1. And so we're going to put this on the screen for you. I want you to see this cast of characters. Uh, We have, first of all, King Ahaz, uh, who I've already mentioned to you, was the king of Judah, king of that southern kingdom of Judah. 
Next we have King Rezin, who was king of Aram. Aram is another name for Syria. So Syria, as you can see on the map, is there in the north. And they're sandwiched between Judah in the south and, and Aram in the north is that northern kingdom is Israel, the, the ten tribes that had seceded from the union after King Solomon had died. That nation of Israel is being led at the time by King Pekah. And so here we read that there's this alliance that's forming between the king of Israel, King Pekah, and the king of Aram, King Rezin, and they're going to align their armies and march against King Ahaz and march against Jerusalem. So here we have this dangerous alliance, and you can imagine that as uh, uh, King uh, Ahaz learns of this, uh, it's going to be a huge stressor for him, because these two armies, from his vantage point, could absolutely clean his clock. And so they go to attack Jerusalem, a walled city, uh, but they couldn't just topple the walls down, because those walls were thick, and they were pretty well guarded. And so what armies would do in those days, if they couldn't knock the walls of a city down, uh, they would just lay siege to that city, which basically means they would just surround the outside of the city walls, they'd set up camp and wait it out. Because maybe it would be a week, maybe a month, maybe six months, sometimes as long as a year, they would wait outside the city walls, eventually the people inside that city would run out of water and run out of food, right? And so that's what these kings thought would happen in Jerusalem. But what they didn't know is that there were natural springs coming up inside the walls of Jerusalem. And so those springs gave them plenty of water. As long as they had a good food supply, they could wait it out a long time while their nation was under siege. And so here these two kings are. They're coming against King Ahaz. They're coming against Jerusalem. And they're just besieging the city. They're waiting it out. But what they don't realize is King Ahaz inside those walls is scared to death. He is so stressed out because he looks over those city walls and sees these armies that are huge that he cannot fight mano a mano. That's too big of an army for his little army to take on. Take a look at verse 2. Still here in Isaiah chapter 7. It says, Now the house of David, that is the house of Ahaz, king of Judah. The house of David was told, Aram, that's Syria, has allied itself with Ephraim, that's northern Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. He's given this news that northern Israel has aligned itself with Syria and they're outside these city walls. And it says what? It says, the hearts of the people... And the heart of Ahaz were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. In other words, their knees were knocking, and their teeth were chattering, and the hairs on the back of their neck were standing up. They were scared, and they were a mess. Ever been there? Ever been dealing with something, and you were just scared? And you were frightened, and the hairs on the back of your neck were standing up, and you just felt like an absolute mess. You've had times in your life like that, haven't you? Times when you were in a crowded store or shopping mall, and you turned around, and you couldn't find your kid anywhere. Times when you slammed on the brakes or, or swerved to the side of the road and just missed a major accident by inches. 
uh, times when your family member went into surgery and you were pacing back and forth nervously in the waiting room with a huge pit in your stomach, feeling absolutely helpless. We've all had times like that in our lives, haven't we? Times when we were scared, times when we were completely stressed out. When we face those trials and difficulties that are beyond our ability to control, the stress just absolutely consumed us. Well, sometimes we look around us and everything seems so hopeless. And it seems like there's nothing we can do about it. As the armies of northern Israel and Syria camped outside the city gates, all of Ahaz's senses were screaming in unison, Ahaz, you are toast. You're a goner. You're not going to make it through this. There is no hope. I can relate with Ahaz. I've had times in my life where it felt to me like there wasn't any hope. It felt like this stress was going to absolutely kill me. It felt like I was going to have a nervous breakdown. But there is hope from God's word for me and for you today. Because as you read through to the end of this story, you'll find that King Ahaz's story doesn't end with him having a nervous breakdown. And neither will yours if you do what God directs Ahaz to do in the coming verses. I want you to read with me verses 3 through 9. Such a powerful passage. The Lord said to Isaiah the prophet, Go out. You and your son Shear Jashub to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too scattered and shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. <laughs> what a glorious passage. God speaks to his followers in a, in a variety of ways. Sometimes God literally shouts at us through our circumstances and he shouts to get our attention. As we've seen in recent weeks, sometimes uh, just like with Elijah, uh, God speaks to us with just a, a gentle whisper. Sometimes God speaks to us through a stranger. Sometimes God speaks to us through a family member or friend. Sometimes God speaks to us just like he does with King Ahaz here through one of his servants. So what he does with King Ahaz, God speaks to him a very important and timely message through his prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah approaches him on the side of the road and gives him the word that King Ahaz needed to hear. And God's message to King Ahaz is so good here in verse 4. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid and don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. I'd like you to think about each of these four commands 
of God. And notice that I said commands. Uh, These are not suggestions. These are not recommendations. These are commands for King Ahaz. And I want to suggest to you, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, they are commands for you and me as well when we are feeling the stress overwhelm us. Number one, God says, be careful. Number two, keep calm. Number three, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Number four, do not lose heart. Let's look at each of these four beautiful, powerful, simple commands. Number one, be careful. Be careful. Friends, when you are completely stressed out, first and foremost, be careful. When we are stressed, it's so easy for our minds to wander into dangerous territory. Be careful. When we are stressed, it's easy for our tongues to start spewing verbal sewage that hurts the people we care about and destroys relationships that we are in. Be careful. When we are stressed, it's tempting to say, who cares? What the heck? I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. It's easy when we're feeling stressed to throw caution to the wind and we do stupid stuff that we normally wouldn't do. Uh, Getting stoned, driving recklessly, having an affair, uh, maxing out our credit cards. You see, stress and stupid are really kissing cousins. Did you know that? Stress and stupid are kissing cousins. It's true. When you are stressed, you're more likely to be stupid. And when you're stupid, it will make your bad situation even worse. It will end up giving you even more to be stressed out about. King Saul learned this lesson the hard way. In 1 Samuel 13, many of you remember the story. We read in 1 Samuel 13 how the Philistines had assembled their huge army to attack King Saul and the nation of Israel. The Philistines, it says in that chapter, had 3,000 chariots and they had 6,000 charioteers. And they had this huge army that they couldn't even count how many were in it. And so they went to attack King Saul and his whole army. And King Saul was scared to death and he was completely stressed out. So King Saul did something that was one of the worst things he could ever do as king of Israel. He decided he was going to go ahead and, and offer that burnt offering that God said only the priest and prophet could offer. Samuel was the only one authorized to do that. But King Saul took it upon himself to do it himself because he was scared, because he was stressed out. And King Saul is a wonderful example of how that stupidity is a kissing cousin of that stress. It took him all of one second to go from stress to stupid. And he did this. He offered that burnt offering. And almost immediately after he did it, Samuel shows up and says, What have you done? It only made a bad situation worse. Not only did King Saul still have this huge Philistine army to deal with, on top of that, God said he was going to go ahead and pull that whole kingdom out of King Saul's hands and hand it over to a man after his own heart. Oh, as a direct result of his stupid sin, that kingdom was torn out of King Saul's hands. So let's not follow in King Saul's footsteps. Remember, when you're stressed, be Careful, please be careful. Second, number two, keep calm. Keep calm. 
It sounds simple enough, doesn't it? it but it's easier said than done. Uh, sometimes I say it this way to someone around me who's flipping out. Breathe. Don't forget to breathe. Ever found yourself saying that to a family member or friend? Sometimes someone's flipping out. Just breathe. Don't forget to breathe. It doesn't do you or anyone else any good when you flip out and go postal on all those around you. Now take a few deep breaths. Spend some meaning, meaningful time in prayer. Uh, go on a nice long walk. Pray, play some soothing music. Take a, a nice long bath. Pet a dog or a cat. Do whatever it is you need to do to keep calm. Whatever you need to do, keep calm. Because if you're going to make it through this stress without causing a whole lot of collateral damage along the way, you're going to have to calm down. You're going to have to calm down. Now, one of the most effective ways to calm down is to spend some quality time meditating on God and His Word. Over the years, I've talked to different Christians and told them about the importance of Christian meditation. And they've said, I don't know how to meditate. And I like to respond by saying, yes, you do. They're like, what? You know how to meditate. It's true. Think about this. If you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate. Because what is worrying? Worrying is simply fixating on, focusing your thoughts on your problems. You spend an extended amount of time thinking about your problems. Christian meditation is simply fixating on, spending an extended amount of time focusing on God and the things of God. So the fact is, the difference between worry and meditation is simply a matter of focus. Instead of focusing on your problems, you focus on God and the things of God. Isn't that glorious? If you know how to worry, congratulations. You know how to meditate on God and the things of God. You just have to redirect your focus. You have to redirect your thoughts. I love how Paul uh, tells us uh, a few things that we need to redirect our thoughts on in Philippians chapter 4. He writes in Philippians 4, 8 and 9, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and put them into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Oh, doesn't that sound good? Don't you want the God of peace to be with you? Well, Paul says, okay, if you're going to Christian meditate, if you're going to focus on God and the things of God, here's some things to think about. As you're reading God's word, focus on those things you see that are lovely. Focus on the things that are true, on, that are right, that are pure, uh, that are excellent, admirable, praiseworthy. Focus on those things in God's word. And while you're at it, go out in nature and focus on those things that are lovely and right and admirable and true and pure and praiseworthy and excellent. Focus on all those things instead of focusing all the time on your problems. So think about God. Think about the things of God. And God will help you keep calm. So did you catch those first two? Are you with me so far? Number one, be careful. Number two, keep calm. Number three, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
I'm pretty sure that King Ahaz uh, didn't appreciate this command very much as he's there on the side of the road hearing it being relayed to him by the prophet Isaiah. He's basically probably saying, Isaiah, are you kidding me? (laughs) Are you serious? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There are two enemy armies camped outside my city walls and they can squash me like a bug. They are coming to kill me. They want to wipe the ground with me, and you're telling me, do not be afraid. Sure, no problem, Isaiah. No problem at all. God is telling me, do not be afraid. That's precisely what God's telling him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Remember that this is the most repeated command of God in the entire Bible. It's the most repeated command. Do not be afraid. If we look in simply the New Testament, we find that command a number of times given to God's people. Remember Mary before she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit uh, with Jesus Christ? Before that pregnancy began, God sent the angel Gabriel to her. And the first thing Gabriel says is, do not be afraid. And then God sends Gabriel over to Joseph to let him know that he's supposed to marry Mary. And what does the angel say to Joseph? Do not be afraid. Fast forward nine months and the angels go to the fields outside of Bethlehem. And the angels tell those shepherds in the fields, do not be afraid. Over and over again, we find this in God's word, that command, do not be afraid. He told Joshua, when Joshua took the reins of leadership to lead Israel into the promised land, God told him, do not be afraid. Before Israel crossed the Jordan River to conquer Jericho, God told him, do not be afraid. This is the most repeated command of God in the pages of Scripture, and it's repeated here. Do not be afraid, King Ahaz. And God tells you and me, do not be afraid. Oh, God says, I know this situation you're in is scary. I know it feels overwhelming and you think you're going to buckle under the pressure of this stress, but I've called you to walk by faith and not by sight. I need you to trust me. I've got this. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God says, keep calm. Do not be afraid. Be careful. Number four. Do not lose heart. And specifically, he says to Ahaz, do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Ahaz's knees had been knocking and his teeth had been chattering and the hairs on the back of his neck had been standing up. He was so terrified. He was so stressed out. He knew these armies were going to clean his clock. Those two armies were just ready to come after him. And as he looked over the city walls, all that Ahaz could see was this raging inferno. It looked like this problem and this stress was this huge forest fire so overwhelming and there's no way that he could quench those flames. And God says, look again, King Ahaz. Those armies are not a raging inferno that's growing. Quite the opposite. These two armies are really nothing but a smoldering couple pieces of firewood. Think about that difference. As you look at that picture on the screen, think of those two smoldering stubs of firewood. Sometimes we look at our problems and they seem to us like a raging inferno. But God says, actually, the inferno is already in the past. These are now just a couple smoldering stubs of firewood. You see, God says to us, I'll see to it 
that those problems and those stressors that you're dealing with, I'll, I'll see to it that they're on their way out. I'll see that those flames are on their way to dying down. It may seem that your problems are about to overpower you and crush you, but I'm actually about to whittle them down to size. So God says, change your perspective. Stop looking at your stresses in your life as raging infernos. Instead, look at them as smoldering stubs of firewood. Your problem's best days are behind them, but your best days are still up ahead. Did you catch that? Your problem's best days are behind them, but your best days are still up ahead. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says, I'm not focused on yesterday's failures and I'm not focused on today's problems. I'm focused on the finish line where Jesus Christ awaits me to give me the crown of righteousness and the gift of heaven. And in Hebrews 12, after spending a whole chapter sharing with us some of the great heroes of our faith from the Old Testament, heroes of faith that dealt with stresses far beyond anything that you and I will probably ever have to deal with. After God shares with us these wonderful heroes of our faith, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen? Amen. There is no doubt that 2020 has been a very stressful year for most of us. But you and I don't have to be stressed out. We can be dealing with stress without being stressed out. Even when everyone around you is losing their head and blaming it on you, we can truly experience God's peace and His strength if you and I will fix our eyes on Jesus and if we will do these four things. Number one, be careful. Be careful. Number two, keep calm. Keep calm. Take a deep breath. Spend some time meditating on God and on the things of God. Keep calm. Number three, do not be afraid. And number four, do not lose heart. I'm telling you, church, if we will do these four things, we will see ourselves being able to rise above our stressors we will see ourselves be able to truly experience peace and comfort and the joy of the Lord in the midst of this stressful time in which we live. God's people can have the peace that surpasses all understanding if we'll simply be careful, keep calm, do not be afraid, but put our trust in our Lord and do not lose heart. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful blessing you give us 
to be in Christ. I thank You for the peace and the comfort and the joy and the hope that are offered to us through Jesus Christ. And I pray, O God, especially for those who are dealing with so much stress right now, I pray, O God, that they would live out these four commands, Lord, each and every day. Help us, Lord, to train our minds to not focus on our problems, but to focus on God and the things of God. Help us to remember to breathe and, Lord, to be careful and be calm in the midst of these stressors. And, Lord, I pray that we would not lose heart. May we not lose heart, but trust in you with all our hearts because you will see us through. Lord, I pray for those who are dealing with illness right now. I pray for those dealing with COVID, O God. Help them, Lord, to trust in you. And I pray that you would bring them healing. Lord, I pray for our leaders from the White House down to City Hall, Lord, that you would guide them in their decisions, that you would keep them safe, that you would give them wisdom and direction with the decisions they make for our cities, for our communities, for our states, and for our nation. Lord Jesus, I pray for an end to COVID quickly. But in the meantime, O oh God, I pray that the stress would not be overwhelming for us. And Lord, I pray for those that need to accept you as Lord and Savior, that right now in this moment, they would come to you in prayer and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Please come into my life. And Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you from this point forward until you call me home to heaven. Lord, help us to trust you and obey you every day of our lives for the glory of God. And I pray for anyone that's made this decision for the first time that they would reach out to us and let us know about that decision. And we'd love to talk with them, O oh God, about how they can be baptized in obedience to your command as soon as possible. Be with us, O oh God. See us through. Give us your strength and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.